From the rising of the sun to the setting of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Will you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for this good day. We thank you, Lord, for the salvation we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. We thank you, Lord, for this beautiful song that reminds us that if we have breath, we must sing. We must lift our praises and exult in you, God, because you are good and gracious and kind. And we, your people, give you praise. And we thank you, Lord. And we pray now that as we open your word, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts, that we might be teachable, that we might be taught. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. God is good. All the time. So what do you believe? I mean, if somebody just asked you, what do you believe? How would you answer them? Uh, Jonathan Whitfield was a minister to the coal miners in England. And one day in a personal encounter with one of those men, he said, so what do you believe? And the man said, I I believe what the church believes. He said, "Okay, well, what does the church believe? He said, well, the same thing I believe. He said, well, okay, well, what do you and the church believe? He said, well, I suppose the same thing. Well, the problem with that is we need to know what we believe. For instance, about salvation, it would be good for us to know what we believe. No, it's... It's of paramount importance because it's a matter of spiritual life and death. What we believe about salvation has everything to do with where we will spend eternity and what we will be doing for all of eternity. So, as I recall, last week I preached about sin. And as I recall, correct me if I'm wrong, I was against it. I mean, I was strongly against sin. And today I'd like, after showing you our situation, to show you God's great solution In Romans chapter 3, verse 19, would you open your Bibles with me? We've been thinking about the doctrine of salvation together and uh, we have talked about God's great love. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life and He is a Savior and He delivered His people out of Egypt and we looked at that in Exodus and then last week we talked about our sin and today I want to think with you about our justification next week, about our sanctification the next week, about our glorification in the final week of this series about our eternal security. Let's stand together to read God's Word. Romans chapter 3, verse 19. And Paul says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. But now, uh, righteousness from God, apart from law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. He did this to demonstrate His justice because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. On what principle? On that of observing the law? No, but on that of faith. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. And across the page, chapter 5, verse 6, a few more verses. 
Paul writes, you see at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You may be seated. Remember, Paul started by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And at the very beginning, back in chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, he says, the righteous will live by faith and salvation is from beginning to end about faith, about belief, about trust. But even as he spoke those words, even as he wrote them, and he realized that a group of believers in the first century would hear those words, he anticipated that their response would be, well, that's probably for those really bad people over there somewhere. So Paul says, wait a minute, the wrath of God has been revealed. And he starts in chapter 1, verse 18, to talk about the wrath of God revealed against the worst sins of humankind and really talks about the Gentiles in verses 18 to 32. And at this point, perhaps his Jewish listeners were saying, well, now I get it. Yes, you're right. Those Gentiles are really going to get it. God's wrath is poured out on them. And then Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 2, And if you think that's only about them, you misunderstand because you too have sinned. Remember I said last week, God's kindness is given to us, His tolerance and His patience, His forbearance, His kindness to lead us to repentance so that we will turn from our sin. And and just in case they still don't have it, he says in chapter 3, verses 9 to 18, he quotes this katina of uh, Old Testament passages from, from the Psalms and says, See, we have all sinned. So every mouth is silenced. And he says to those in the first century who would have said, but wait a minute, we have the law. We keep the law. We're not like those Gentiles, he says. But the law was never intended to make us righteous, but to reveal to us the sinfulness of our sin. And I I imagine that somebody in this room perhaps was raised. I think I was raised in some of the churches as we moved where, where we heard that in the Old Testament people were saved by keeping the law. In the New Testament people were saved by trusting in Jesus. But all of that would ignore the whole book of Hebrews. Remember Hebrews chapter 11, the hall of fame of faith, which says all those people in the Old Testament were saved how? By faith, by faith, by faith. Again and again, By faith, because without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it's always been about trust. And in chapter 4, he shows them Abraham and says, when was Abraham made righteous? Was it when he kept the covenant? He didn't even have the law yet. How was he made righteous? It says, Abraham believed God. Chapter 4, verse 13. And God accounted it to him as righteousness. He reveals that again in verses 19 and following in chapter 4. And in chapter 5, he just makes it plain. He says, you know who we were? He says, we were sinners. We were helpless, powerless. We were ungodly. We were enemies. Verse 10, chapter 5, verse 10. We were enemies of God and Christ died for us. So salvation is apart from the law. It's apart from our works. It's apart from our best efforts. It is by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. This is what we believe about salvation about justification. So what this means for people like us is as long as we are still trying to justify ourselves, 
Christ's death on the cross is of no use to us. Do you understand that not even God can save us as long as we still think that we are saving ourselves? So I want you to see that those who really want to be justified must give up the idea of self-justification. The idea that we can justify ourselves. And he points this out clearly here, but I just want you to see it in verse 19. He says, every mouth is silenced in case we thought we could defend ourselves. And he says, it's apart from observing the law. And through the law, we become conscious of sin. What the law shows us is that we can't keep the law. And so he goes on to say in verse 21, the righteousness we need is from God. Verse 22, again, chapter 3, from God. We need a from God kind of righteousness, not our own righteousness. And, and And to this day, when you and I hear about our own sin, we are tempted to say, but wait a minute, it wasn't as bad as all that. Or... To mount up a a list of all the good things we've done to sort of counterbalance it. And this self-justification only leads us to trouble. It's about, as Tim Keller says in his book, The Reason for God, a whole chapter about sin. Which, by the way, is worth the price of the book. And in that book, he talks about how our identity results in our idolatry that is you and I will find this or that gift that we have and we'll say that's the reason I live that justifies my existence and then that becomes our idol so sin is not just doing bad things sin is when I take good things that God has given me and make those things ultimate things in place of God this is idolatry. I'll give you an example. In the movie Chariots of Fire, you remember that movie where Eric Little is this great runner and he won't run on the Sabbath because he's a man of principle, but he goes ahead and, and wins. One. I'm ruining the movie, aren't I? He, he wins an Olympic race at the end. And, and he, is, he, is, uh, he has a counterpart in the movie named Harold Abrahamson who is a Jewish runner who's experienced a good bit of persecution, unfortunately, because he is a Jew in in Britain in that day. And so he's always trying to somehow prove his worth. That's why he runs. Little runs for the glory of God. Abrahamson runs for the glory of Abrahamson. And he explains it to a friend of his one day when he's just about, he's got one hour until he races, and his friend says, why do you have to win? Why is the glass always half empty for you? Why do you push so hard? And Abrahamson says, because every time the gun goes off, I have a four foot wide lane, and I have ten lonely seconds in the hundred yard dash to justify my existence in this world. Now, that's why running is so important to him. When he wins, he feels justified. And when he loses, he doesn't feel like there's any reason for him to be in the world. That's why he takes that so hard every time he loses to Eric Little. And the point of this um, uh, parable, if if I may say, is that you and I are always looking for something in our own lives to justify our existence. So you say, well, I did this or that good thing back on this or that day. And that's why it's justified. I justify my own existence. It's, uh, pardon the, the movie uh, ideas, but it, in Rocky, um, when, when he says to Adrian, Adrian says, why do you have to go the distance? And he says, so that I will know that I am not a bum. I don't want to be a bum. And so I've got to justify my own life. And maybe for you, it's your academic success. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's, it's making money. Maybe it's some achievement. Maybe it's athletic accomplishment. But for you, that for you is life. It justifies your existence. And if that thing is anything less than God, then you 
are trying to justify yourself. And so we spend all this energy trying to say, well, I'm not really all that bad. And it really is wasting our effort and our time and God's time because God knows that we are sinners. And the truth is, we know that we are sinners, or at least we should know that we are. I heard uh, a song this week, maybe you heard it on, was it Tuesday night, one of those singers in one of those vocal competitions sang this song by Our Lady Peace called Innocent. It's not a particularly great song by my estimation, uh, but it, it kind of has this sort of haunting melody and it kind of stays with you. And, and basically in the song, this young man, David Cook, was singing and he said, he, he said, I remember feeling low, I remember losing hope, I, I remember when those feelings went away. And then the chorus says, we are all innocent. We are. We are. And David Cook explained the reason he sang that song on the inspirational night for that series was, he said, I think basically we are all good. Now, that's a very appealing idea. That at the very basic level, you and I are just good. You know, we want to do good. Dallas Willard says, we want to do good, but we are prepared to do evil. The truth is, there's something within us that makes us, as he describes us, you see it in chapter 5, verse 6, it says, we, we are powerless to help ourselves, or helpless is what the NASB says, we are ungodly, we're less like God than, than, than we are like God, we're, we're not very much like God, even though we were created in His image, when we fell, Adam's sin, and not just Adam's sin, but my sin, sets me apart from God, and he goes on to say in verse 8, while we were still sinners, when we had missed the mark if you've been watching golf this weekend. All these great golfers and, you know, these little bitty short putts, you would think they would go in. These are the greatest golfers in the world. It's to the right, to the left. They, they aim for the mark, but they miss the mark. And the reason you and I are sinners, the Scripture says, is because we may even have good intentions, but we, we miss the mark. That's the word. We are, we are sinners. And so when I heard this, we are all innocent. We are all innocent. I almost titled my message today, No, we're not. <laughs> We're not innocent. We're the opposite of innocent. Last service I said, we're the opposite of innocent, whatever that is. My son came up to me afterward and said, that would be guilty, Dad. Whatever that is, is guilty. Opposite of innocent, guilty. Thank you, son. Just call it out if you think about it in the middle of the sermon. Well, in fact, we are guilty. And that's what the Scripture says. So we can't defend ourselves before God. We can't justify ourselves before God. Years ago, Frederick of Prussia, Frederick the Great went into a prison and he was surrounded by all these prisoners and they were all falling down at his feet, clamoring at his feet, saying to him, now, I'm innocent. I, I didn't do it. I didn't commit the crime. You've got to pardon me. Get me out of this place. And they were all asking him. They were begging, let us out of this prison. And one guy was just sitting over there by himself and Frederick was intrigued by him. So he went over to him and said, now you, for instance, why are you here? He said, because I committed a crime. What did you do? He said, well, I'm guilty of robbery. And you did it. He said, I did it. And he called the guards and said, get this man out of here right now. And they said, why? And he said, I don't want this guilty man to corrupt all of these innocent people here. <laughs> well, that's our situation. As long as you and I are pleading, I'm innocent, I'm innocent, we can't be forgiven because as long as I think I'm innocent, I don't need a Savior. But when I realize that I have sinned, then I realize what a great salvation we have. Then I understand why the writer of Hebrews says, how will we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? We can't ignore this salvation. What Christ did for us on the cross was exactly what we needed. And you and I are justified when we go to the cross and we trust in God's great outpouring of mercy and grace. It is, verse 21 says in chapter 3, God's righteousness. Verse 22, God's righteousness, which comes to us through faith in Jesus Christ to all 
who believe. This is our great chance. We get to believe. We get to trust. We get to place our faith in the faithfulness of God. Years ago, I saw a bumper sticker that said, God said it. I believe it and that settles it. And then somebody, you know how people always have these bumper sticker wars. Another one said, God said it and that settles it whether I believe it or not. Let God be true and every person be a liar. The truth is, God's word is true. And so when I set this in contrast with the popular teaching, I was, uh, some of you, how many of you have sent me the uh, the, the uh, YouTube video of uh, Eckhart Tolle, this man who's written The New Earth, and it's this book, and, and basically, I, I just picked it up at Barnes & Noble yesterday, and, and I looked in this book, and the, and the book says, we are not really sinners. Three million people have bought this book. It says, we are not really sinners, but you and I are holiness. And within each one of us, the minute we're born, lives already God. God is already in us and we are holy and our holiness is our salvation. And when confronted with the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life, Eckhart Tolle says, Jesus wasn't talking about himself. He was saying that for every person. I am the way. Everybody is the way. Everybody is their own truth. It doesn't matter what you believe because those are just thoughts. But the scripture says what you believe will determine where you spend eternity. What we believe. The one in whom we believe. And so in verse 26 he says that we might believe that he is just. Don't you know that Jesus is just? Tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. He never committed a sin. So that you and I, when we confess our sins to Him, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says He is faithful and what? Just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we come to understand that, then we understand that Jesus is both just and the one who justifies us. And the truth is He brings us this great redemption it says freely look at verse 24 we are justified that's past tense once and for all freely that is the word as a gift that's what that word means as a gift by his grace through the redemption that's a beautiful word that means jesus purchased our souls out of captivity out of bondage to sin my wife was telling me that one afternoon this past week, she and one of our sons walked out into our driveway. They were getting into their respective cars. Why do sons park behind their mothers so their mothers can't get out? Anyway, he was parked there behind her and they were walking. And she looked up and she said over the fence, she saw this elaborate spider web. And, and within the spider web was caught a beautiful monarch butterfly. Majestic and beautiful, golden, orange. They're sort of flapping Unable, like this word, powerless, chapter 5, verse 6, helpless, too weak to escape this spider web. And Melanie, who is a very compassionate person, um, she, she said to Graham, look, that, that butterfly is going to die. We should, we should let, it, let it go free. And Graham said, you're right. And she said, you're tall. Why don't you go over there and, and set it free? And, and we, he watched too many spider movies when he was a kid or something. He hates spiders. Big, tall kid, very afraid of spiders. He said, I'm not getting near that spider web. And so she started to get in her car and he, and he just stood there. And so she couldn't move her car. And she got out of the car and said, what? And he said, you're not going to let it die, are you? And she said, well, no. And so she took off her shoe. Imagine my wife over there reaching up as tall, as, as high as she can. And she, she sort of extricates and moves the web away. And it's a beautiful story. The butterfly flies away and she said she looked back at Graham and Graham smiled at her and said and got in his car 
back down, you know. No help, but he was a great observer. He said, let me tell you, he was telling one of his friends over there, yeah, my mom and I saved a butterfly, okay. Well, yeah, a lot of help you were, buddy. But anyway, I love that story because, you know, you know I know what you think I'm going to say. You're gonna, you think I'm going to say, and we were like that butterfly, and we were caught in the web, and the spider was trying to kill us, and, and our great Savior, like my wife, Melanie. Melanie's the hero, and, and really, no, that's not the story. Listen, what, what if... What if it had been a yellow jacket? Now, would they have gone to that effort? Because this is what it says. It says, while we were powerless, while we were ungodly, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, here's, here's the real story. My monarch, my king, came down onto this earth and stretched out his arms on a cross and died on that cross so that the spider could go free, so that the sinner could be liberated. This is the story of the gospel. This is what we believe, that Jesus Christ at great expense to himself. So when I say to you, we are freely forgiven, I don't want you to think it's cheap because it costs God everything. This is the price he paid in order to justify us. And he says, when we believe in that, When we place our trust in God, we discover that the God who made his way out of the grave is able to help us when we cannot help ourselves. This is the gospel. This is really good news. And that word justified past tense means once and for all, God looks at us as though we had never sinned. Now, we've already established that we know that we've sinned and God knows that we've sinned. But what he says is he treats us through the blood of Christ as we trust in Christ as though we had never sinned sinned at all it's a forensic term it's a legal term it's a term of appeasement that means christ has somebody had to be punished and christ took our punishment for us this is very different than eckhart tolle's idea when he says well the cross is really about the fact that all of us can overcome our crosses just like jesus did i want to show you again jesus didn't overcome the cross in fact i imagine it took everything within jesus just to stay on that cross when he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set himself free. But he took and he took our sin upon himself. Not so that you and I could say, well, when I have a cross to bear, I can, I can overcome it. That's not the point. He's not our moral example. He's our Savior. That's why he died. So that we could be forgiven. I love the story of the, the British gentleman who decided to come to the United States on holiday and wanted to bring his own car with him, a Rolls Royce. Imagine that. He ships his car to the United States, and when he gets here, it has some sort of mechanical problem, and it won't run right. And so he contacts the people over in England, and they say, don't worry, within 24 hours, we'll send a mechanic with the, the tools and the parts to make your car run. And sure enough, he showed up and fixed the car, and the man drove the car all over the United States and then shipped it back to England. When he got back home, he checked his mail looking for the bill, and there was no bill. He's thinking, well, something's wrong here. And so he waits a little bit long. He doesn't get a bill. And finally, he contacts the people at Rolls-Royce and says, listen, on such and such a date, my car had a mechanical problem in America. You remember, you sent a mechanic over to fix it, and I want to pay the bill. If you just tell me what the bill is, I'll be glad to pay the bill. He gets a message back from Rolls-Royce. This is what it says. We checked our records at Rolls-Royce. We have no record that any Rolls-Royce anywhere ever had any problem. Thank you for your correspondence. Now, he can't pay the bill because they've already paid it. And from their point of view, there never was any problem. Now, that's justification. And that's what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We know we've sinned. He knows we've sinned. But he looks at us through the blood of Jesus Christ and sees us as completely forgiven. This is the gospel we preach. And if we believe this gospel, the scripture says we are saved. So if you want to be justified, just trust. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust Him now. He will save you. He will save you. 
He will save you now. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the salvation we find in Jesus Christ alone. Help us to trust. Help us to believe. We, we say, Lord, with the man long ago, Lord, we believe. Help my unbelief that we may stop our self-justification, that we may cease from self and sin and receive your gift of eternal life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.